church down in Mobile, Zaya City, we had a women's softball team. And our best player was Judy Jones. She was out in left field. Fly ball was hit to deep left field. Judy, as we like to say, got on her horse, right? And she was trying to track it down. And she turned as the ball was coming down. And that ball hit her square right there in the head. Judy fell over and I thought she was dead. I mean, that's how, and you, I could still hear the sound of that ball hitting her head. And I was sitting there on the hillside watching that. And I don't know what I was gonna do when I got there, but I just, I jumped up and I just ran out there to left field where, where Judy was just lying there and she had been unconscious. By the time I got there, she was coming too. And long story short, you know, she lived to tell about it, got ice on her head, and she was all right. But it was a running joke for quite some time amongst those at that ball game and in our congregation about they had never seen me run, much less run that fast. And that has been, oh, that's been at least I can, I can say then it's been at least 20 years since I remember running that was not connected with exercise in some way. And I don't run in connection with exercise either. My excuse is I've got allergies or an asthma and it's difficult to breathe. And, and every now and then I'll get some wild thing going on. I'll try to run, but I don't run. Not really. But the question was not about me, it's about you. When's the last time you remember running? Running from something because you're afraid. Running to somebody, maybe it's hurt, to go help them. Maybe running after a kid to stop them from doing something dangerous. When is the last time you actually ran? It's been a while for some, right? Maybe some, never. I, just, I cannot remember the last time I literally got into a sprint and I was in a hurry to get somewhere. We just don't do that. We don't run, and let, you know the old joke, if you see me running, you better take off too because something big and bad is, is coming after us. So isn't it significant that in our Bible, and in the early service this morning I referenced it, didn't mention it in the second service, isn't it really a significant detail that cannot be overlooked and minimized that on the day that Jesus came up from the grave, we have two fully grown men. By profession, they were fishermen. They never run, do they? But on the day they heard the tomb of Jesus is empty, Peter runs. John runs to the tomb. And so our question from this morning and continuing on to this evening is, why did they run? Look at this. This is John 20. There's so much going on. Next, next year, 
next Easter Sunday, and we don't need just to be preaching about the resurrection of Jesus on Easter Sunday. Do by the way, Easter Sunday in Ukraine is in another month, so it's kind of interesting how that works out, right? Now, on the first day of the week, John twenty verse one says, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the tomb had been saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Remember, not to let Jesus out, but to let folks know that he was out. Then she ran. It's not just the apostles running. She ran. When you know Jesus is not in the tomb, there's going to be some energy about us, isn't there? She ran. Came to Simon Peter, the one who's been grieving because he had denied Jesus with an oath three times earlier. Runs to him and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's got to be John, right? And said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb. Her message was not, he is risen. Not yet. That's going to become the message, but a little bit premature for that for some of these disciples and these women. They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. They've killed him, and now they've stolen him. What monsters they are. Maybe that's the thought here. Peter, therefore, went out, and the other disciple, and were going to the tomb. Verse 4, and they both ran together. And the other disciple outran Peter, and came to the tomb first. This is the Gospel of John, written by John. John saying, I ran faster than Peter, without saying, I ran faster than Peter. Verse 5, and he stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Is this interesting? Yet he did not go in. What would you have done? You've been with Jesus the last several months. You love him. You're the one he loves, it seems, the most. He's got the most connection, the strongest connection with you. And you get to the tomb first. You're, you're gasping for air. You're excited. You're scared. You don't know what's going on. And you look in. Should I go or should I stay? Maybe I'll just wait for Peter because there's no doubt what Peter's going to do when he gets. You got friends like that? They're 100 miles an hour. Wherever they're going, they're getting there as quick. You know, they're, they're all or nothing type personalities. Peter's going in. You know he's going in. Would you have gone in? Peter came, verse 6, following him, went in the tomb. And you said without any hesitation, right? And he saw the linen cloths lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, in this interesting, but folded together in a place by itself. We've got to dig down and study that sometime in the future, don't we? Fascinating passage there. Then the other disciple who came to the tomb first, be John, went in also. Isn't it interesting that sometimes we are more emboldened to act when our buddy does it first? Going second doesn't require that much courage, does it? But the first person to eat that egg, the first person to drink that milk, the first person to jump out of that perfectly good plane, the first person to walk on the moon, the first person to go up in the rocket, the first person to say, I'll be baptized in my family. First person is extraordinarily courageous. Second can be also, but second, we know, easier. And so now they're both in this tomb. But Jesus is not there. And notice verse 8, he sees and what? 
he believed. Now, you got to be figuring, they're, they're thinking in their mind, there's no way they would steal him and then take the time to fold up the clothing, would they? But look at nine, there's still, there's still some confusion. For as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. That's another way of saying they did not believe yet. They, they, they were aware of the times. By, by my count, if you, if you read all the gospel accounts, you, you'll see that Jesus said to these disciples about a dozen times, going to Jerusalem, going to be killed. Three days later, I'm coming up. And we've mentioned this in previous studies of this, haven't we, that maybe in some ways this was a sad occasion for Jesus. It should have been his greatest triumph, right? He comes up out of the grave. Peter and John, Mary Magdalene, these other, they're not there with breakfast, fresh change of clothes, because they just still don't get it. Maybe they thought he was speaking symbolically, figuratively, but not literally that he would come up, even though they had seen him raise Lazarus. Baffling a little bit there, isn't it? Look at 10. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. They, they really don't know exactly what's going on and what to do. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. Can you imagine her heartbreak? And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. Everybody's looking. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Imagine the power of that vision of that scene. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because he's risen from the grave. No, because they have taken away my Lord. She's still recognizing Jesus as her Lord, which is very impressive. And I do not know where they have laid him. Now she said this, now when she said this, she turned around, can you imagine this scene? And saw Jesus standing there and did not know it was Jesus. How's that possible? She didn't expect to see Jesus there. The last time she saw Jesus, what was that visual? Bruised, battered, bloodied, horrible looking. Now he's freshly raised from the dead. Verse 15, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She's getting asked that question with some frequency now, isn't she? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener? Said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Don't you love her spunk, her attitude? I mean, she's getting down to cases here. Where is he? What'd you do with him? I'm going to handle this. She didn't even say, I'm going to get some help. Just, just let me know. Point me in the direction of where my Lord is. You got to love this lady. I'll take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabbani, which is to say, teacher. It is the highest form of praise of a teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. 
Mary Magdalene came and told the disciple that she had seen the Lord and they had spoken these things to her. What an emotional morning that Sunday long ago. What, what, what a day. What, what good news is coming to these heartbroken people. And we know the rest of the story but I think it is good to, before we get back to 1 Corinthians 15 and the now what, what does this all mean to us today, we, we, we just kind of visit that question again for just a moment. Why, why did, did Peter and John race to the tomb? Because Jesus was dead. In their heart, he was dead. And they needed good news. They needed hope. They needed a risen Lord. Their lives had been destroyed that Friday afternoon. And they, they needed something to smile about again. They needed something to celebrate, to sing about. And a, a risen Lord was going to get that to them. It's, in my way of thinking, it's the same reason that many people gathered with us this morning in pew and online. Because we also need hope. We need a risen Lord. We need a reason to smile, to celebrate. Life's been really, really challenging for some really, really good people. And we need to know the tomb is empty. We need to know that Jesus lives. Why have we come back tonight? Some of us may be the same kinds of reasons that, that Peter and John ran to the tomb. Because it's an ongoing, it's a recurring need to connect with Jesus, to be with the people of Jesus. And we're going to continue to need one another. We're going to continue to need hope. We're going to continue to need something to smile about. And coming together such as this, it kind of reminds us that we are in this with other people. We're connected with Christ, the risen Lord. We're connected with others who are at least figuratively running for the tomb. Let me ask you this. Suppose the tomb was down over there at this, uh, this cemetery, Oakwood Cemetery, uh, next to Trenum School. And, and suppose that's where Jesus had been buried. And, and it's Sunday, and, and, and I, I come running in kind of breathless, and I say, I say, it, 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 it's true. The tomb is empty. He's not there. What would you do? Really? Well, let, let's send some fast-running team there. Let's send Thad. I think he's pretty quick. Let's send him down there and get him to run back and tell us what he saw. You know? We can't know for sure what our, what our reaction would be because we just, we just can't know. We can think, we can guess, we can suppose. But what we want to believe is that we would all have the enthusiasm to get to the tomb. Okay, let me change, let me change the scenario just a moment. Not Jesus, but, but a spouse, a parent, a child, a best friend. And you get word right now, their tomb's empty. What's your response? What's your thought? Somebody has come and stolen that body. How dare they? But what would we do? We got to investigate. We got to get there quickly. We might not run. We might get in that forward and take off and go. 
but we want to have we want to have that same energy for for seeing the evidence that Jesus tomb really is empty he really does live and and you know what what can't happen today is we can't load up and go to that tomb in Jerusalem it's just not reasonable is it that that day that moment has passed but people can still see that the tomb is empty not by going and seeing literally a stone moved away and the burial cloth in there and no Jesus. But they can see the empty tomb in us. They can see by, by how we treat each other, by how we joyfully worship, by how we, we serve, by how we, we live with a, 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 a spirit of, of optimism that there's a better day coming. Gave examples of how that practically works out in the lives of those who are anticipating a forever family reunion with our dear departed ones because the tomb is empty. That's how it's possible for us to survive events and losses that for some folks are not so survivable. People can't race to, to Jerusalem and, and see the empty tomb, but they can come to us or we can go to them and they can see by our life that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. That's our privilege. Go from mourning to, to messengers. And our message is not just on Easter Sunday, but every Sunday, every Monday, every Tuesday, every day, the tomb remains empty and because of that our lives are changed for the better our hearts are changed for the better and we'll never go back to that that jaded unbelieving person who had no hope now we have hope and if you look at at first corinthians 15 you see this this now what question being being answered for us if you can if you can put that powerpoint up back there I'd, I'd appreciate that on the on the page that tells us the the now what Jesus is risen now what if the PowerPoint do, doesn't go up just visualize this in your mind that first of all from 1st Corinthians 15 verses 1 to 4 we see that we get a message of good news do you, do you see this in in 1st Corinthians 15 the first few verses the gospel in four verses, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you. This is the same Saul who was trying to destroy the church. Remember, mentioned that this morning. What changed in, from the Saul Acts 9-1 to Acts 9-21? He's seen Christ. He's seen the risen Lord. His life is forever transformed. That's what happens when we encounter a living Jesus. And now he's declaring to them and to us the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you're saved if you hold fast that word, which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again, Third day, according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to talk about all those that, that witnessed his resurrection. By the way, verse 7, and after that he was seen by James, 
then by all the apostles. That James is very likely the brother, the physical half-brother of Jesus who grew up in a home not believing that Christ was who he claimed to be, the Messiah, the promised one. But after he sees a risen Lord, he believes, becomes a great leader in the church. It's amazing what actually seeing a living Jesus can do for them, and we can see him through uh, their eyes, can't we? And it also can bless. Uh, so we got a message of good news. It also, this resurrection of Jesus, it gives us hope. And don't we need hope these days? We need good news these days, and we need good hope these days. Look at 17 to 20 here of the resurrection chapter in our Bible. And if Christ is not risen, and he is, by the way, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We're not going to see these folks again if Jesus is not raised. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable or most miserable, some translations say. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He rose from the grave never to die again to show it can be done, to show it will be done for us one day. So we got a message of good news to share. We've got good hope that, that, that helps us to survive the bad news, the bad phone calls, the bad days. And then because Jesus is raised, you see this here, we have been given life. We've been given life after our death. This is 21 and 22. For since by man came death, by man, capital M, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. We will live again. And 51 to 54 emphasizes that again. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, not forever. We shall all be changed in a moment, twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed, for this corruptible must put on incorruptible. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. I like 55. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? It's almost like Paul is making fun of death. He's mocking it. Death ultimately is the big loser. The devil is the big defeated one in this. And, and we shall live forever. And it's, it's not just live forever, it's live triumphantly forever. When the Bible speaks of eternal life, it's not just talking about the, the duration of it, but it's talking about the quality of it. All of this that, that wears out, that wears down, that gets broken, that has aches, that has pains, that groans, highly temporary, is going to be replaced by something that, that lasts forever, that lives forever, that, that celebrates forever, that doesn't have any of the things that we're prone to complain about today. And that's why he was able to say to, to the family of those that have suffered the passing of loved ones recently, the next time. Oh, we've 
we've remembered the last time we've seen these people. We've seen them with tears in our eyes. And it was hard. It was challenging. It was love that, that kept us there, holding a hand, praying, weeping, saying goodbye. But it's not a forever goodbye. And the next time we see Granny or whoever you have in your mind right now, so much better than the last time, so much healthier, so much handsomer or more beautiful, so much healthier than ever before. And we have that hope because of this resurrected Lord. If Jesus is still in the grave, this is all futile. But he is not in the grave. And we have life because he had life. And then last of all, you see here that uh, this empty tomb gives us incentive to live the best life. I'm, I'm looking at 31 to 34 here in this chapter. I affirm, Paul says, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. What's he saying? He's saying I'm exposed to the risk of physical death every day. Or maybe he's saying I put to death. I'm separating myself from those things that are toxic, that are destructive for me. Either way is a pretty good path to take, isn't it? To be willing to just understand that Christianity following Jesus is something worth hazarding our lives for. Taking some certain risk in order to be a true servant of Christ. It also involves the daily life of, of being dead to or dying to those things that can kill us if we don't kill them off first. And he goes on to give some examples. He says, if after, in the manner of men, I have fought with beast. If you read some of the things he endured, these guys were animals he's dealing with. Beast at Ephesus. What advantage is it to me? Again, if the tomb's not empty, what's it matter? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Uh, you know, uh, dead all over, dead like rover, as some people foolishly believe. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. He's saying live understanding that the people that are around us affect us maybe more than we realize. Evil people can lead us in an evil path. Good news is the converse is true. Good people can help lead us in a better path. Who are the people? Who are the people we're going to be running with this week? They affect us. Choose your friends. Choose your future oftentimes. But then he goes on to, to emphasize that we get to awake. Like come to life again, verse 34, to righteousness. Righteousness is right. Do it. Do the right thing. If you want to give your kids just one rule in life that will help them, do right. Do the right thing, and everything else kind of falls into place. And do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame or to their shame. But understand the tomb is empty. It gives us the impetus. It gives us the incentive to avoid sin, to, to choose the right path. And then he, he emphasizes that again at the end of the chapter. We, we, we kind of wrapped up our lesson this morning thinking about this. So the, the big now what is, therefore, be unmovable. 
Don't, don't be moved away from your core values. Don't be moved away from your conviction that there is a risen Lord to serve. Don't be pushed off of that position. And we're surrounded, aren't we, by people, by influences trying to get us to stop being who we ought to be, to stop doing what we ought to do. But we've got to recognize that and resist it. And the resurrected Lord empowers us to do that. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ do for us? It changes us. It enhances us. It gives us hope. It gives us a message. It gives us a faith that can never be robbed from us. Let us prepare for the day that we'll have a resurrection. Let us prepare for the day that we will see, literally see, our risen Lord. You remember in speaking about the, the resurrection, Jesus said, John 5, he said, Marvel not at this, for the hours coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and come forth, those that have done good to the resurrection of life. That's what we embrace those that have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. We get to choose to have either a pleasant resurrection or a horrible resurrection. There will be a segment of the population that will not want to come up, not want to come out, not want to give account. Let's not be of that group. Let's be of the ones who are anxiously awaiting the sound of the trumpet to, to rally us from the tomb to be forever with Jesus, to be forever with the people of God. Uh, we're going to stand in just a moment and sing a song gives us an opportunity to ask for prayers to, to better prepare ourselves for the meeting of Jesus. That will happen. We have that appointment, and it's going to happen. Let's, let's be excited about that. Let's be enthusiastic about that. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day like Resurrection Day was a few years ago a few Sundays ago. If we can help you in any way, if we can lead you into the waters of Christ for mission of sins, give us that privilege as well, please. While together we stand and sing.